just assembling our obligatory props. Those of you who've done a couple of these will be used to the, the show. But Tom, I think you're taking the lead. Indeed, yes. So today is a communion service. And we decided that rather than put communion at the end of the service and, and link it to the message, as we often do, which is entirely appropriate and relevant, um, we would spend today talking entirely about communion. Hopefully, if you're in the building or if you're at home, you, um, you've got the message that um, uh, today we're bringing our own personal communion elements um, into the service. And so if you've got those to hand, then that'd be great. We're not going to use them just yet. But what we are going to do is just remind ourselves of what happened that first communion, when Jesus first shared communion with his disciples. Now, Normally at this phase, I would hand over to Charlotte and she'd go into Jack and Ori mode and start telling a story and creating a scene and calling on our senses and everything. I've been entrusted with the storytelling duties today. So, um, so please don't expect um, Dovian levels of storytelling. But, but please do use your own imagination and take yourself back to Jerusalem. It's been a busy week. The disciples have been looking forward to this evening. They've had a funny few years since they were first called by Jesus to follow him. They've had moments of joy, moments of sadness, moments of doubt. There's moments where they've been chased out of towns and there's been moments where they've been embraced and welcomed as heroes. In fact, only a few days before... They've had that very experience. The crowds have been recognising Jesus, welcome King of Kings, as he's come on a donkey into Jerusalem. Crowds have laid down cloaks and palm leaves, and the disciples were all part of Jesus' entourage. The following few days have been tumultuous, to say the least. As Jesus has gone into the temple and other places in Jerusalem, and he's performed healings, he's, he's taught people how to live according to God's will. He's upset some people and he's pleased others. He's even had very important Jewish priests coming to ask him more about what he's got to say about God. But of course, tonight is the Passover feast. It's an important date in a Jewish calendar. And Jesus and the disciples gather in an upper room in Jerusalem. They would open a window, but the windows are already open because it's first century Jerusalem and they don't have windows. And so there's a draft coming through, but the room is still hot. The food smells good. And midway through the meal, Jesus suddenly pauses. He picks up the bread And he breaks it, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread is distributed, and the disciples eat, slightly confused as to what's going on. Jesus then takes the wine And as he pours it, he says, this is my blood poured out for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples drink, and the evening carries on, and the next day Jesus is crucified. Now, of course, we we read about these things in Scripture. All four Gospels have different accounts of what happened that night and about the First Communion. But today, we're going to ask ourselves, when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, why? What is it that this should remind us of? And to explore that question further, Charlotte's going to take us all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Oliver, so right in what he said to us earlier this morning about the, the, our communion reminds us of what Jesus does on the cross. Uh, but, but why does he do it? Why is that so important to us? And we're going to try and answer a bit of that uh, this morning, having a look at, like Tom says, all the way through the story, maybe some little bits of what this wine, that is the blood, and the bread, that is the body, might mean. And we're going to start right at the very beginning. And we're going to start with the blood. And this one's kind of interesting because it's never meant to be in the story. If we take ourselves all the way back to the beginning, God creates his beautiful world. There's the beautiful sky, the beautiful sea, the beautiful land, the beautiful mountains, the beautiful plants growing up, bringing colour wherever they go. There's the beautiful fish, the beautiful birds, the beautiful creatures, this perfect world. And the very most beautiful piece of all, the bit that God loves the most, is his children, Adam and Eve. And his perfect world is made for him to be with them. And nothing is ever meant to die. Nothing is ever meant to be hurt. The blood is never meant to be spilt. But we all know what happens next. Adam and Eve uh, make decisions to turn away from God, to use the perfect world how it was never meant to be used. And badness comes into the world. And where badness comes, sadness follows. We all know that. Going to spill these a lot. And so badness and sadness come into God's perfect world where they were never meant to be. And that's no good. God wants to get rid of the bad and the sad. But the problem is, the bad and the sad have come in with Adam and Eve, his children who he loves so much, and to destroy the bad and the sad, he has to destroy them. And that is something God is not willing to do. That he's, These are his children who he loves so much, he will not destroy them. And so Adam and Eve leave the garden, and their family grows. They have children of their own. And all the while, God is calling out to them, speaking to them about the right way to live, how to avoid more badness and sadness. But in it comes anyway. The people keep making bad choices. They lie to each other. They're jealous of each other. They fight with each other. Sometimes they kill each other. And the badness and the sadness spreads deeper and deeper into the beautiful world that God has made. And obviously this is a problem, a massive problem, but it's okay because God always has a plan. He needs to start getting rid of the badness and the sadness without destroying his children. So here comes plan number one. 
God says, if you tell me you are sorry for your badness and sadness, I will take it from you and place it on something else. Maybe a sheep or a bird or a cow. And when you say, sorry to me, your badness and sadness can pass on to them. And they can be destroyed instead of you. But that plan's still not perfect, is it? Because the sheep and the birds and the cows are also part of God's perfect world. To him to destroy all of them is still not ideal. It's still not good. And the worst part is that even once some of the badness and the sadness has been dealt with, people keep adding more. Even after they've been forgiven once, after the badness and sadness has passed over them to these other things, because God loves them, they keep making more mistakes, more badness, more sadness. And we all know the story of Passover, don't we, where God um, allows his people uh, to death passes over them and into some of these sacrifices to these lambs. And the mark of their blood is a sign of death passing over and going somewhere else. But we've still got the problem carrying on. More badness, more sadness, and there's only so many sacrifices God can make. Something has to change, a better plan, something big enough to deal with all of the badness and the sadness that has happened and that will happen in the future. And this is a phase two of God's awesome and amazing plan to keep his people from being destroyed. Now I wonder, in the Bible, does anyone think they know a story of something that um, seemingly couldn't have dealt with everything, couldn't have helped as many people as it did, something small and ordinary that maybe could have helped one little boy at lunchtime that actually was enough to feed or to help lots and lots of people. Does anyone think they might know a story a little bit like that? I've dropped lots of hints. Loaves and fishes. Thank you. I love some audience participation. Yeah. We know the story, don't we, of the feeding of the 5,000 where someone amazing and powerful has the ability to stretch something further to cover more people than ever seemed possible. And we know that person is Jesus. Phase two of the plan. God comes down to earth with us as a human. But not just any human. This is a human sufficient to cover everything. And when Jesus says... Um, I will die on the cross for you. He is making himself the next sacrifice. But he's not just a lamb or a bird or a cow. He is God and he is so much bigger. His capacity is so much greater that he can take all the badness and sadness of everyone that they have done and even more that they will and so this is why Jesus is so important because not only did he come down to earth and take all the badness and sadness or sin as we also call it from the people who had lived up to that point 
But he also says, me dying on a cross is sufficient to take away all the badness and sadness for everybody going forward. And so Charlotte's using a glass here, which obviously is many times bigger than the normal communion glasses. But actually, to properly represent Jesus, you'd need an ocean. You'd need an empty ocean. And you'd need to stand here and say, how long is it going to take to to fill this empty ocean shot by shot? And of course, you're never going to fill it up. You're never going to be able to fill it up. In the same way, Jesus' sacrifice for us is never going to run out. We can always, always turn to him. We can bring our badness and our sadness. We can bring ourselves full of sin before him. And he sends us away full of his spirit. And that's the amazing thing about communion. Because when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he was saying, remember how much I love you. This is a celebration of how much Jesus loves us. I forgot to mention the bread. That was the thing I was meant to do. I was meant to tie in the bread. When we got to our feeding for the first 5,000, the loaves and the fishes, the bread, uh, the bread of life, that is Jesus. Okay, that sacrifice that is enough for everyone. And so we find ourselves from creation right back where we started, uh, back at that last supper or that first communion. Uh, We've come full circle. And Jesus, uh, when he tells his followers uh, to break that bread and to drink that wine, it links all the way back to the very start of the story, this need for forgiveness, this need uh, for the badness and the sadness to be dealt with. But it also looks forward to the end of the story because without the badness and the sadness God's people no longer need to be destroyed they can be with him again in that forever perfect world uh, that is his intention right at the beginning no death no sadness just God and his children together now my all-time favorite picture of communion is a jammy dodger so that's why we're, you may have been wondering why, for those of you who are at home, uh, people in the congregation have on their chairs a little disc that is reminiscent of a jammy dodger, but not so close as to be edible. in some way yeah, edible. Unfortunately, they are not. But I always think that a jammy dodger is a really great picture of communion and We're going to just do a whistle-stop tour now of why. So, on our jammy dodger, we have our base layer. Here it is. This is like our bread, this body, the bread of life, Jesus, this sacrifice that is big enough to cover everyone. We have our jam that is a bit like our wine or our blood. Um, this sacrifice that takes away the badness and the sadness. Just bear with me as I try and empty an entire jar of jam. (laughs) And then spread it without, oh no, my very delicate biscuit. (laughs) It's fine, everything's fine. So we've got our two elements, right? But actually, the most important part of communion, I think, is the bit that we see 
when we add the final part of our jammy dodger, which is the top. And when we have the top, the bit we can see most clearly is the heart, right? Is the love that's right in the middle of communion, that is the purpose, the meaning to all of it. It's God's love uh, for us that is too much for him to, to give up on us, to surrender us, so much that he went uh, through the ordeal of the cross, that sacrifice, to be with us. And that is why I have given you a jammy dodger today. Uh, you can take that away with you as a little reminder. And perhaps if you are here with us this morning, and we're about to take communion together, if you are not joining us in taking communion, perhaps you can have a look at your little jammy dodger disc as uh, Tom talks us through communion. And uh, just think through what those different elements might mean as, uh, as we take communion together. Tom. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Charlotte, for this. Um, once again, I'm afraid COVID restrictions mean we can't share the jammy dodger with you. We would love to, but instead we will eat it, share it together, and and think of you while we're while we're doing it. But hopefully now, as we come back to that upper room in Jerusalem, and as we remind ourselves of the events that took place there, as we remind ourselves of of what what we spoke about right at the start of the service it makes a bit more sense. It's a little bit clearer what Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me. He wasn't giving us a a rule to stick to. He wasn't giving us some sort of a memory because he was going to go away and never come back. Instead, he was was saying, "This, this is an important point in history. This is an important point that you need to remember because this is the point where you are about to have God's love revealed in such a spectacular way. Within 24 hours of Jesus doing this, God's heart had been broken. Within 72 hours, Jesus was resurrected. God's heart was poured out for all people. And of course, sometime later, at the day of Pentecost, we remember Jesus' Holy Spirit being poured out on all people. And it's through those events that we can gather here today. We can call out God our Father. We can, we can share communion together. We don't have to go through a series of priests and high priests and, and confessions to come to God. We can stand before God ourselves, address him directly. We can confess to him our badness and our sadness, and we can ask him to take them away and to fill us instead with his Holy Spirit. So before we share communion together now, let's do just that. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I'm just going to lead a short, um, leave a short gap for us to silently, personally, thank God for his love and for communion. Let's pray. Father God, it is good for us to go back over the events that we've mentioned this morning and remind ourselves of what they signify, what they mean to us. And Lord, I pray that although we've, we've covered an awful lot in a very short space of time, it will have helped people to understand, helped us all to understand a little bit more how much you love us and why you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. 
Lord, we all do bad things. We all experience sad things. None of us are perfect. And so, Lord, whatever age we are, in these next few moments, we ask you to forgive us for our sins, for all the badness and sadness that we've caused, and to fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, into this world. We thank you for creating the world in the first place. And we thank you that one day the world will return to that perfect state where we can live in your presence with no, nothing bad and nothing sad going on around us. But Father, until then, we thank you that we can always come before you. We can always ask for you to forgive us and to be with us and to make us good again. So, Father, bless these these elements that we're about to share. Whether we're at home or whether we're in the building, Father, fill our hearts afresh with your Holy Spirit, we pray, as we show obedience to Jesus and do this in remembrance of him. And in his name we say, Amen. Am I allowed to break the jammy dodger? Don't break the jammy dodger. Don't break Have it. Have that bit. That bit. I'll put that bit there for you. I've been saved a piece. Thank you. So if you've got your elements, please unwrap them, pour them out. Put them together. As we remember that night, when Jesus took the bread in the presence of his disciples and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Later on, he took the wine saying, this is my blood poured out for you. And so we've heard about what this means. We've heard about the story that went before it. But we are the story that goes ahead of it. And so with that in mind, with thankful hearts, let's drink together. Lord God, thank you for communion. Thank you for what we've shared together this morning. And bless us, we pray, as we finish in worship today and then as we go out into the world to face whatever is lined up for us this week. Father, help us to face it knowing that you are our God and we are your children. In Jesus' name, amen.